Harry Butthole Podcast is produced in partnership with Joy Sauce. Harry Butthole. Welcome to Harry Butthole Podcast. This is a podcast based on the Korean saying, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. I'm Youngmi Mayer. I'm your host. Each week I have a guest on to share a sad story and then we try to laugh about it and make hair grow out of our butthole. Yay. Yeah, I don't know if uh, my guest today knew that. Uh, I always try to spring it on my guest in case like they don't know the tagline, but Without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest this week. She's so, so well-known, so popular. I, I'm, I'm sure everyone that's listening has already seen your name in the the subject line, and they're excitedly list, just waiting for me to introduce you. They're like, come on, get to it. <laughs> um, you might know her as the Korean vegan on social media, cookbook author, social media superstar, attorney, the the Korean dream, I, I think. <laughs> That's like the Korean dream of every Korean uh, parent. Everyone, welcome to the podcast, Joanne Molinaro. Oh, thank you so much. I don't think I've ever had quite an introduction like that. D- there's butthole. <laughs> yeah, I brought up buttholes. Hair. Hair. <laughs> you know. I Sad story. Korean grandma. The immigrant dream. Yeah, the immigrant <laughs> dream. All, all in your intro, right? Yes, yes. And it makes total sense. Very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm really excited to have you. You're like a mega star. I'm oh, like starstruck. That's that's very very flattering. I'm actually extremely honored to be asked to be on this podcast. I've been a, a fan of yours for so long, what? and I think your work is very very um, provocative and also yeah. really soothing in many ways. Oh, provocative and soothing at the like, same time, like a hairy butthole. Like a hairy butthole. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say there's the butthole. The word butthole is in the name of this podcast. I, I'm, I'm, I like to push the buttons. There you go. <laughs> um, and then you were like, "Oh, I want to record in person," and I was like, "Oh my god, that's awesome!" But then today, I was like, "I." Damn it! I was like, that's that's so scary. And then oh, I was don't like, be scared. And then I cleaned the. I don't know if you noticed, but I cleaned the apartment. Oh, it's well, not always this clean. It's really beautiful in here. I I was I wanted to say something, especially the bathroom with all of the pink flowers. I was oh, yeah. like, it's so pretty. Well, those were up there before. What if I put the? What if I woke up at four a.m. and like put those up there because you were coming? Oh, and then I would feel really bad. <laughs> like I really hope she uses the bathroom while she's here. The first room. That I walked into. <laughs> That's so f- oh well, yeah. I, d- I definitely clean, and I was like, oh man, um, which is like a weird, like okay. So not to start with a downer, but I feel like it's one of the ways that uh, COVID has really, really influenced me, and it's still, you know, it's been years. Obviously, COVID's not over, um, but I, I really noticed that I, I sort of dread having to leave my apartment now really yeah what is is it like a social anxiety that's developed in the past couple of years or yes. i've always had it but it's so bad now mm. where i like really prefer all my meetings to be over zoom there is a real level of convenience to it but also it's isolating do you feel lonely ever no yes 
yes, yes but no. I'm like, no, but like, again, not, I'm like, oh gosh, should I get this? You know what? I'm going to do it. I don't care. <laughs> I feel like uh, I have this thing where it's like a, I have a history of negligent abuse as a child where mm. I was left alone a lot. Uh. And it's like this thing that I realized in therapy where it's like, the your norm m- might be painful but it's comforting but it's comforting yeah, you it's know a, it's like a pain you know yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's it's familiar so it's like you're i'm lonely and miserable but i'm like yeah I lo- yeah this is great you know yeah um which is it's, it's so fascinating when i like discovered that in therapy and stuff because i was like it's obviously for other war situations it's why a lot of people that are like the met domestic violence victims kind of seek out partners like that yeah and unconsciously like, yes mm-hmm. and it doesn't really make sense but then it does make sense like that's what you're used to that's what love feels like for me love feels like nobody wants to hang out with me. <laughs> i'm like yeah this, <laughs> and is-, this is so lovely <laughs> yeah, yeah it's I, i'm actually reading this really fantastic book i was reading it this morning And it's about a psychotherapist and he's a psychotherapist and that's the irony. And he was terribly abused by his father Mm. when he was little and made to feel worthless and unlovable and like nothing he will do will ever make him worthy of Mm. being loved. And he marries this beautiful woman and finds out shortly after their marriage that she's been cheating on him. Uh And he goes to his therapist and his therapist is like, hello, doesn't this sound familiar? Like you're you, not good enough. Yeah, yep, you yep. married this woman because she makes you feel all those feelings you had when you were a little boy, and you were just kind of like yep. magnetically drawn to it. And now's your chance to, you know, relinquish that from you know relinquish your past. And he ultimately is like, no, I want to stay here. Yeah, because <laughs> it's. I mean, it's sad because it's like. For that guy, love feels like being betrayed. Yes. Like that's what love that's means the language. To him. The that's, language. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's so and I sometimes I'm like, this is sad that I like love being neglected, but then I'm like, I, I gotta like work through it somehow. And working through it is horrible. Well, it's I like, imagine like because I've seen a lot of your content with you and your son. Yeah. I mean, how does that manifest with your relationship? Um well, okay, so the thing about my son, though, I think it's it's uh, overcorrected, uh, where I'm like, I don't want to neglect, so I'm always just, like, hovering. hovering. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Mom, get away. <laughs> and then, he, like, whenever he says, Mom, I'm like, yes, yes, I'm here. Like, uh, but uh, so, I don't know, maybe that'll show up, like... I, I think mean, that I, I don't it's better think it's to do bad. that than yeah. I think the other way, to be honest. I mean, who's to say? I, I, I don't think I was ever neglected... Because I have my grandmothers, yeah. I lived with my harmonies, yeah, but yeah. my parents were like, I don't, I mean, not always present in a right. way that I think, like, for example, my husband had, you know, a stay at home mom. And when I tell him some of the stories about my mom and dad, he's like, I can't understand yeah. this. It's like not processing. And I'm like, this is a very typical story for Asian immigrants. Yeah, yeah. For him, love feels like somebody being there for you. Every moment <laughs> of every day. I can't imagine that. <laughs> that sounds weird to me. <laughs> um, well, I was going to, the reason I, I said that thing about COVID was I was going to ask, have you seen changes in your life, you know, like, or, you know, because of COVID at all? Or have you kind of bounced back? Um, that's a really good question. I feel like 
on the macro level, certainly there were some very large changes in my life. I withdrew from partnership uh, at the oh. firm that I was at for 17 years. Wow. And so that was a major change. And that, you know, involved a whole heck of a lot of things that were different. The biggest difference for me was, you know, being able to walk out my door, go for a run, and run past the bus stop that I used to stop at every single morning to get to the office and be like, oh, I don't ever have to do that again, wow. you know? And that was a very powerful, liberating feeling. But, you know, also being an entrepreneur and owning my own business and being my own boss, as I'm sure, you know, you can relate to, comes with it a lot of pressure, um, pressures that mm -hmm. I wasn't as used to as perhaps I thought I was, but mm. it's still good. But, you know, those are related to the choices that I made during COVID, mm. you know, which probably happened in some part as a result of COVID, right? You know, TikTok and all that. But I wouldn't say that COVID itself has really impacted me in, in the way that you describe. I, I love walking around outdoors. I still, you know, do probably more socializing than I'm comfortable with. That's partly because of my job now and, mm -hmm. and all of those things. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned on my walk here, I was just, you know, falling in love with this city again, you know, mm -hmm. and, and trying. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask young me when I get there. Like, what does she love about living in New York? What does she hate? Because, like, I can't see anything hateful about this place right now. No, you, you asked me and I was like, the suffering. Yeah. I was like, I'm Korean. I love the suffering. <laughs> You're like, why are you like living here? I was like, because I'm Korean and I love suffering. You know, pain that too much. <laughs> I will say it made me think of this one time when I stayed here for about two weeks. I was in an Airbnb and it was when I was a lawyer and I was working on a case and I stayed in Soho and I rented this gorgeous Airbnb and I just thought I was like, oh, look at me. I'm living this glamorous life. I'm going to stop by the bodega and pick up some tulips and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I remember by the end of it, it was just so profoundly lonely. I mean, it's just such a lonely city. I'm like, that's why I love it, Joanne. <laughs> yeah, this is my home. It's, it's, isn't it great? I think it can be. It can certainly help you grow hair in the right places. For sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, you asked me that, and I was like, I made it into a joke. But I think it. Uh, if I can just, like, the what I meant by the suffering thing is, like, it's almost like, all the stuff that I'm, I think I was supposed to learn in my life, I could see that it, it would take like whatever, how many years to learn it. But in New York, it was like, it, it was like grinded out of me real quick. It was like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like a mortar and pest. Like, I'm, I'm like the basil leaves. And the juice has been wrung out of you. Yeah. yeah. And it's uh -huh. just like being in New York is just getting it smushed out faster or mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. But I don't know. I think I could see it being very bad for people too you know i think it can be yeah do you think that it's made you a stronger person definitely i think it made me like uh confront stuff that i probably would never have had to what know? about new york has done that well i think you know a little bit when you asked me initially i was like oh it's like the like it makes you act in this like authentic real way you have to like get around like the like the societal niceties or whatever the artifice yeah mm -hmm. and then um which i struggle with because more childhood trauma i'm just kidding but like it's like for me it almost smells like continual gaslighting or something like mm. passive aggression it's it's very confusing to me and so i think new york 
is very authentic and it because I'm forced to constantly live in that realm I have to like get to the core of everything immediately or something does that make sense no totally I, I mean it's like this you know kind of um scary honesty yeah you know but then I feel like people you know like obviously Donald Trump is from here he's <laughs> born and raised Big time fraudster. Fraudster. But he's like, obviously has like a personality disorder where there's something going on where he can't reach that core. Yeah. And that's like made his personality disorder like super strong here. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that he's from here. And so I think it's like, maybe it's like to each their own. It's like, what are you going to do with this? Like honest, brutal honesty. Are you going to like thicken the mask even more to like, pathological dictatorship mm. levels <laughs> like, do you know what i mean right well if you think about new york city as like a crucible right yeah and some metals come out of the crucible really strong and virtually unbreakable but then some metals come out of the crucible brittle mm-hmm. and you know seemingly strong seemingly sharp yeah but then they tend to break and i think you know donald trump could be something like that a psychopathic brutal dictator and that you know he's a weak man he's definitely yeah yeah and and so there's a difference between strength and and brittleness and i think that like you said to each their own how they sort of come out of this city is is determined by a lot of different things but ultimately i think it's you know a function of of heart and compassion always you know and i think that's what this Mm. city has a way of unearthing in people in this really like you said honest way and i think that's why i love it here yeah like i feel like the good people that you meet here are like fucking so good good. good. like they will like literally like lie down on the streets for you if necessary and that's that's what's missing in a lot of other places that i've been you can say it la you can say it that's it's a safe space here (laughs) where i live which is so because i i now have like the biggest social circle i've ever had i have more friends than i've ever had in my life i love that about la but It's like I said, there's just, I'm still in search of the soul of that city. Mm. Yeah, because, yeah, that. so I I feel like you definitely understand, like, the vibe of New York. I was thinking, like, Donald Trump, if he wasn't from New York, he'd just be, like, some harmless, annoying, like, a country club. <laughs> you know, like, you go to Florida, and then yeah. you bump into some really annoying guy, and he has, like, a Rolex, and he's like, I own five... <laughs> Use car dealerships. <laughs> he'd be just like a pompous, annoying asshole. But here he's like a super villain. And I think he sucked the juice out of New York to get there. Maybe. Right? Maybe. I, I think that's that, my theory. I think there is something about the panache of being from New York City that appeals to his base. But, yeah. you know, obviously I always say this, you know, Donald Trump is really just a magnifying lens on a serious illness in our country. And so I agree. You know, he's a polarizing figure. But what does that polarization actually symbolize for us? And what does that mean? And he was the one who said I could go out and shoot someone on Fifth Avenue avenue and people would still love me what the hell does that say about our country it's very terrifying yeah also i mean true it's true you know yeah it is true it is very new york (laughs) it it is true he was (laughs) he was spitting um 
Anyway, so sorry, I don't want to. I just, I'm just like trying not to make this about Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk more about why. Why is he like that? (laughs) Let's psychoanalyze it. (laughs) Wait, so but you did you did just move to LA, Mm -hmm. and obviously I did like a LA versus New York episode, and I I just want to make it clear that nothing against LA. I love LA. Um, How is that? How is your life now? It's great. Uh, you're like oh there's the artifice <laughs> we have a How swimming pool <laughs> oh, I love my swimming pool which is wow. not what I expected to love about our place in LA and and I to be fair I live very far from LA about 45 mm. minutes away from LA and we live in the burbs and I think that's partly why it's a lot better for me because mm. I, I don't live in the city. I lived in the city when I was in Chicago, but in LA, I think the nicest thing about it is the weather, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, that cannot be overstated, especially for some people like us who like to spend a, quite a lot of time outdoors. Mm-hmm. And so having consistently good weather is just takes a little bit of the stress away from like planning our days because you know, for me and my husband, our day usually begins with anywhere from one to four hours of running. And so mm, four hours of running. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like it can be like really hard when yeah. like half the year it's like windy, rainy or snowing, which yeah, is yeah. what it was in Chicago. So that's nice. Mm, oh, my God. Chicago. I can't even imagine you were running for four hours yes, outside in Chicago. Yes. yes. It, it was hard, wow. especially in 20 degree weather. I'd come back with like frozen eyelashes and, yeah. you know, not having to deal with that is nice. And then, as I alluded to earlier, I was really surprised at how easy it was to make really good friends. I had a hard time making friends in Chicago. I'd lived there my whole life, and I just could never find, you know, a good niche. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden in L.A., it was like a niche was already there. I fell right into it. I have a core group of friends that, you know, I just – I'm like – always like I don't know what I did to deserve these relationships in my life right Mm. now and I just feel very grateful for are they Korean (laughs) no uh, one (laughs) no I mean that was part of it like I have to say like when I was on my book tour when I came to LA for my book tour the number of Korean people who stood in line brought me food and drinks and boba. Mm. Like I almost started to cry because I didn't have that in Chicago. And to see that kind of community already here and ready to support me was incredibly moving. Mm. And, you know, and I've talked about this, you know, in other interviews and certainly in my social media, like, I always get really nervous around the Korean community. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, they're very tight group and I I've always felt like not really included Mm, and so to have that like so openly especially by Korean women it was like really moving but ironically I you know not I mean I have one good close girlfriend who actually was in Chicago and then moved to California and then I moved to California so we're still friends but the friends that I'm speaking of you know two of uh three three of them are Asian American Mm. and um you know it just I don't know. There are a lot of them are plant-based vegan. So that mm. sort of helps like oh, okay. just logistically, like we don't have to be like, Oh, is there going to be food for me? <laughs> yeah. You know, every time. Um, and yeah, I don't know what it is there. I had like a little brain fart for like a millisecond when you said plant-based, <laughs> I thought you meant like they were plant-based and like for a sec, I was like, is that like a different kind of person that like, 
I like they're made so- out of broccoli. Yeah, like my my brain like absorbed that info like an ethnicity or something for for like a split second. And I was like a plant based person. I'm like, hmm. Is that-? And I was like, is that like a you do like a test like a twenty three in me and see how much plant oh I? God, I don't. Know. And then I was like, that's the weirdest thing. I'm like what just happened? Like no, they're yeah, they're vegan. I mean, I right, say right. plant based just because I think, right right. Um, no, they're all vegan. I mean, they're vegan for the animals. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a difference between plant-based and vegan? Sorry to ask you. It's, just... You know what? For most people, no. Like, okay. it's vegan is like we, you know, avoid animal products mostly in our diet. Yeah. I think that um, here's the distinction that many people like I make, which is I remember I was on the phone with a woman at my office at my law firm. I still work for my law firm, but um, I was on the phone with her and we were talking about this vegan cruise and how yeah. we both wanted to go on it. And I was like, yeah. And then she's like, but I'm not vegan, vegan. Like I have a leather couch and I have leather clothing and leather shoes. And, like I don't give a shit about the animals. Yeah. And so oh. she's doing it purely for health. Right. And so right, it's right. just about like she had high cholesterol and she wanted mm. to reduce her cholesterol and originally I went plant-based I stopped eating animal products for my health and eventually after about six months I realized oh I also love animals and like you know now that I'm already on this side of things and I realize how easy it is for me well why not do things like get rid of your leather couch stop buying leather if you can and like do these things that are like just small changes that you know, in the large scheme of things, I'm not sure what it's doing, but for my heart, like it makes me feel a little bit better that I'm not doing things that like when I look at my bag and I'm like, oh God, I know like what the cow went through to produce this, you know? Yeah. And also I think, you know, I know people bring that up a lot, like, oh, like in the, like the grand scheme of things, but it's like, I think that whenever I hear that statement, it has this really sad sound to it because it's like denying the fact that you as an individual have an impact and are part of the universe. Yeah. And that you have agency. Yeah. Who cares if it's a blip among other people who are buying leather couches? It's like your existence has meaning and power. You do what I mean? And so when they're like, who cares? I'm like, if I don't eat meat, when there's like a multi-billion dollar industry, it's like, Dude, own your power. Yes. You know, it's like yes. everyone has power, you well, know? And it's also just like for your own mental health. Yeah. You know, like just be like, hey, like I can do this thing. It makes me feel better to do this thing. And like, yeah, w- who cares? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, sure. Like I'm not sitting here saying like I have all the power, but no. I have power over my day, you know, yeah. over my meals over your and like shopping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I was gonna also say when you were like talking about your friend and your friend's like, "Oh, I'm not vegan, vegan. I have a leather couch and a, <laughs> I have a leather jacket." I was like, "I don't know. I, I have to say that like just the fact that you are aware of that, I think that means that you're vegan. You know, like you're pretty <laughs> vegan if you're like, well, I have a leather uh, shoe so- somewhere in my apartment, so I'm not vegan, vegan. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I don't think most people would even no, they don't. realize no. that. You See, know? and that's what I mean is for for the vast majority, vegan is one word, and it yeah. houses exactly what you think is people who avoid animal products primarily in their diet. Yeah, but within the vegan community, there are all these little right grades. Some of it is gatekeepy and. Silly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I do think that 
in my circle socially, it, it is helpful to know, oh, are you, you know, are you plant-based or you like, where are you on this, you know, scale just so that I don't say something that's offensive right, or right. non-inclusive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, so I guess just a little bit about like Korean veganism, I guess, because you are the face of vegan Korean food in, you know, this country for a great reason. You have amazing recipes. Oh, my God. But I have like so many things I want to talk to you about and it's all like (laughs) popping into my head. But what do you can I just ask this and I don't want it, you know, to make it like a boring academic conversation. But like, did you have you done like a lot of research in the history of like veganism and I guess vegetarianism um, in Korea historically or not at the time that I went vegan? And so in 2016, I didn't want to go vegan. I thought it was silly and ridiculous and I thought it was a white diet. And so I I was very threatened by it. Yeah. And my white boyfriend was, you know, saying, I'm going to cut out all meat and dairy and I'm going to go vegan. And I'm like, okay, you don't even know what that means. Like you've never even eaten a mango before. So like, (laughs) pardon me if I'm a little skeptical. Yeah. But he was adamant about it. We got into a lot of fights and I was like, you don't even know what this is and how it's going to change our relationship. We, We had just started dating and and he's like, I'm not making you go vegan. I'm like, yes, but like, you know, now I'll have to like change the way that I prepare food to show you my love and blah, 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 you know? Mm. And so it was hard, but at the, you know, kind of looking back at the crux of it was I felt pressured to join him because I knew his personality, like he would eventually start judging me if I didn't go vegan. That's just his personality. And he admits <laughs> it to this day that yes, he would have started judging me. Um, but I think part of it was like, how dare you judge me? You're a white man. You have never had to deal with what I've dealt with and what my food means to me and Mm. my identity. Like, you don't know what kimchi means to me. You don't even know that kimchi isn't vegan. Like, these are things Mm. that you've never had to grapple with. And lucky for you that maybe you didn't have to, but I'm sorry, that's my reality. And without even understanding what you're asking me to give up, you're Mm. so blithely asking me to give it up. And I felt that was really presumptuous. And so we had a lot of not pleasant conversations about it. But, you know... This also speaks to part of my culture. One day I saw an article that said going vegan can help you lose weight. And I was like, all right, sign me up, baby. (laughs) So much pressure already. I was like, this is the last little nudge, the flick that I needed. And so (laughs) I went vegan. But I was like, but I'm going to do it on my terms. Like, I'm not going to give up kimchi and kimchi chicken, like all my favorite foods. I'm just going to find a way. Yeah. So I did a little research on Google and saw nothing, literally nothing. And so I was like, okay, I guess I just have to like figure this out on my own. And at that time, I was not aware of temple cuisine mm, and the rich history of temple cuisine. Yeah. And it wasn't until I saw that chef's table episode with, oh, yeah, right. with Chung Gwan Sinim that I realized there was this whole world that I had neglected and shame on me, not just as a vegan, but as a Korean vegan, as a Korean person mm-hmm. to just like not look into it. And since then, you know, I can't say like I've read every book out there about it or anything like that but you yeah, know i've had boring. sorry <laughs> well, no the offense food isn't you yeah, know? yeah the we've, food isn't yeah we've <laughs> been to many temple restaurants and we've been oh, to temples so good. yeah yeah we got to visit chung guan at her home and 
Uh, we did all that. My sister-in-law's mother's husband, so my sister-in-law's stepfather, I yeah. think, he is a very famous artist in Korea. And he, oh, really? he does all the tiger murals. Your sister-in-law's mother's husband. Yes. Is he Korean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so they're very steeped in the Buddhist community because mm. they're always with the nuns and the temples. And, and so her mother is a wonderful cook and she makes all, you know, temple cuisine when I come over. And right. It's some literally some of the best food I've ever so eaten in my life. Like yeah. all the muchims yep. and the, you know, vegetables, like like there's seven different kinds and the, you know, all the different tons. I mean, and then her tenjang is homemade. Her kanjang is homemade. Her techucha so is homemade. Yeah. It's just, it's remarkable. So, you know, I, I, I did a little research for some essays I've written on the topic and, you know, the, the irony, of course, is that, you know, people think of temple cuisine or vegan cuisine in Korea as like simple, you know, not tasty food. But mm-hmm. I'm like, this is the food they served so in tasty. the palaces. Yep. Like, you know, all of these nuns came from the palaces, yep. and, you know, when, you know, they were courtesans, so they didn't get married. And, and so they, you know, ended up having to become nuns. And they're uinyo. And- Oh, is Which that what I did. Um, mm-hmm. I did a little research because you know I'm also writing a book. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm but, so uh, excited. <laughs> I did a little research. We know are like you know Uisa and Nya. It's like the Chinese characters for uh, women and doctor. Uh-huh. And they started. I, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but in Korea, it's been uh, a practice since like the 1300s. Yeah, because yeah, you already know this because you know they had this whole thing where because of sexism in a weird way where like women can't touch men's bodies and men can't touch women's bodies so like if a woman was sick the doctor like couldn't touch her oh yeah yeah Yeah, so then they had to train women Mm -hmm. but then it was like a so they were like respected in society because they're like doctors but then they're women so they're like go outside Mm -hmm. like it was like this really confusing thing but yeah it's been a long historical there's definitely a long history Hi, I wanted to add a note because while I was editing this, I realized I didn't finish my thought and now it doesn't make any sense. Um, When I was talking about the ancient role of female doctors that lived in the palace and they needed them because they needed doctors to uh, care for the female members of the royal family because men weren't allowed to touch women. Um, That might have been confusing because I call them doctors, but in the in that ancient role in the palace, the doctor was also the chef because of this belief in Korea that f- food was medicine. And so the chefs were doctors in the sense that they knew all about herbology and they knew which herbs um, helped resolve ailments. But they also made the food. <laughs> the, they were also the, the cooks in the kitchen and doctors. And so <laughs> that's the part I didn't mention. Um, and then like Joanne said, these ancient recipes evolved from that role of the uinya, like the female people that cooked for the royal people and also were their doctors. So hope that clears it up. Back to the episode. And that's the thing is like I always, you know, I wrote in my book and I've, I've done a couple of posts on this idea. I was like, you know, when I went to meet um, uh, she, she was like I told her I was like I'm the Korean vegan and I showed her my Instagram it was so embarrassing it's so Why? cringy and she's like okay <laughs> not like very like Korean way like okay um, and then she said like vegan not vegan like 
what does that even mean? Like, mm. it doesn't mean anything to me. She's mm-hmm. like, I've been eating this way since I, you know, came here and people have been eating this way for over a thousand years. Yeah. Didn't have a label on it. This is why I do what I do. And I think, you know, when she described, I just want to cause the least amount of suffering. Yep. Yeah. That's all my whole life is about that, you know? And so like, yeah. that's my choice. I don't want to cause harm. Exactly. And so I was like, okay. Like, and, and I think sometimes people forget, like, you know, again, going back to this conversation of, well, okay, you want to cause the least amount of harm, but like, what are you actually doing to like reduce the harm? Mm-hmm. And the way that Sinyam explained it to me, she was like, when you cause harm to something, it harms you back. Yep, yeah. It, there's like a little cost, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so for your own sake, for live own in sake. a way that causes the least amount of damage to everyone else, but also to yourself. You know, also, I was thinking that when you were saying that thing about, oh, yeah, I also want to live my life in this way. And, you know, it's like it's so hard, I think, in this in America, because no offense, (laughs) I feel like that whole Buddhism ideology has been appropriated so hard by like white guys with dreads that go to Burning Man and And we're like, they're talking at you and they're like, let me tell you about Zen and the art of blah, blah. And you're just like, you're it makes people like turn off of it because that's like in this culture or introduction to it but the truth is like it is a very old like religion and philosophy and i and i think that like as i get older especially the thing that you said about the reason you don't want to cause harm is because it's like it it's harming you at the same time like that you know the more i'm in therapy and stuff like that where I'm seeing, oh, when somebody is like mean to me or says something, whatever, mean to me, it's because it's coming from a place of their insecurity. Mm-hmm. And it's like the same thing. It's like, ow, I like hurt, so I'm going to hurt you. It's like the same exact thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, oh, I see. So if I'm like, if I'm mean to somebody, I have to stop and be like, what is that? And then a lot of times I'll realize it's like coming from self-hatred. It's like something that I'm like I'm it's like a double it's a damage knife yeah it's like I'm like stabbing myself at the mm-hmm. same time no for sure so yeah. it is it's so true you know nobody would be cause harm if they weren't harmed to begin with I completely agree and I think if you just live in that very simple way yeah then it takes a lot of the complication out of like again vegan not vegan gatekeeping yep all of yeah, that yeah. stuff it's like okay this is just my personal choice like i yeah. this is the way i want to live and i find it healthy in every single way for me and there you go that being said mm. i want to cause the most amount of harm <laughs> i'm that kind of korean i am a suffering I, and sufferer <laughs> i want to yell at people that's why i love new york city i'm like get the fuck out of my way every day i'm like pushing people on the sidewalk <laughs> I'm like that kind of Korean. I feel like you're either you're either the good or the bad. I'm the I'm the I'm the pushy Korean. I think, I think. that there's there can Just always kidding. be a little bit of like, you know, like I, I'm doing that motion with my finger where like it goes from being just nice to like hooking. <laughs> and like, yeah, I, sometimes I think for the majority of the time, most people assume that I'm, a, you know, I'm the person you see on the Internet. I'm very nice and comforting and soothing. But there's a side to me that can be very unforgiving. <laughs> well, you need that. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, well, also, sorry, I'm, we're getting like so into Eastern philosophy, but that's like, you know, the, the yin and the yang, like you have to have a little bit. Cause if you're too passive, then you cause harm 
by not standing up for bad stuff. Do you know what I mean? That's very true. Yeah. So it's a balance. Mm-hmm. And it's also, like you said, I think, I don't know if this is on the podcast when we were talking about this, but you were like, it's sus when you're like sus. too nice. And like yep, there is, sus. yeah, there is like, I, I am very aware of that. Like, and, and so sometimes I have to temper the instinct to please everyone, which is very hard for me. I'm, I'm a big people pleaser with mm. also being, you know, genuine. Cause sometimes yeah. I, I don't want people to think that I'm being insincere. Um, and sometimes it may come across that way. Cause I, like I said, like it's just instinctive. It's like automatic for me to like, you know, say all the things that are going to make you feel better because if yeah. you're uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable. And it's just like this vicious, horrible cycle. Yeah, and that's a good example of the, like, I think the, what we were talking about, because it's like, if you do something, um, because I'm also like a big time people pleaser, and I think a lot of times I'll do stuff to appease somebody else, and that's inauthentic, and back, this is not now, but like when I was like a younger person, I would be really nice, and then I would go home and be like, that bitch sucked. (laughs) And it's like, that's so mean. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's like that, that action was so harmful, Mm, you know? Like, mm. I could have just been like, I'm not going to talk to you, right? Because I don't like you. But then I'd be like, ha, you're so funny, ha, ha. And then I'd call all my friends, like, look at that dumb bitch. Like, you know, like, that's so mean. That is so harmful. So, yeah. I mean, but I think everybody has done that. Yeah. We've all been through that. It's fun. I'm not going to say it's not fun i might still do it <laughs> but kidding. there is something you know yeah. liberating about being able to say to yourself you know what my feelings are legitimate my dislikes yeah. are legitimate yes and i don't need to you know i mean i think covering them up so as not to cause like unnecessary discomfort you don't have to get in a fist fight <laughs> yeah, at the karaoke exactly. bar every time you meet someone you don't, you don't like. like don't you punch them in like, the face <laughs> and then but, tell, yeah, yeah go mm-hmm. home and tell your husband <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like uh, yeah, it's a it's a balance of who do you fight at the at the durebang? Yeah, okay. Some of them you can fight, some of them you can let it go and just be like, nice to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great. Oh, you just bought a house in the Hamptons. Oh God, great! <laughs> you can do that a little bit. You're yeah. right. Mm-hmm. I gotta. Um, oh, but can I just say one more thing before I ask you about your sad story? Yeah, I love that you. When I asked you about the vegan thing, your the beginning of your story about it was all the emotions that you you said where you were like oh he's gonna be vegan oh he like he thinks he can do it why is he doing that he's gonna drag me into it and what does he's judging me i'm not good enough and what does that mean for a relationship i love that you said that because i think that is such a big part of people's diets what they choose to eat and food it's like the psychological uh thing you know and i think a lot of you you know in popular culture you hear this like sort of anti-vegan rhetoric as like they think they're better than us or like they're what do they know and they're so self-righteous blah 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 and like whenever I hear people talking about that I'm like wow like you're really psychologically affected yeah by these people that have nothing to do with you and they're always like they're always trying to make me go vegan and it's like I've I've never really met a vegan that was like that proselytizing (laughs) yeah I was like I don't know what vegans you know I've never met a vegan who saw me eating meat and was like ew like you (laughs) 
like, 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 call the police, you know, like, who are you? Like, they're imagining this, like, a fake vegan person to, like, yell at in their head. Yeah, a straw man. Yeah, and I feel like it's so psychological. It's so tied to like psychology, and I'm really glad that you pointed that out when you were starting your story. Like, what do you what do you think? All that I know this is such a like abstract question, but why do you why do you think that is? I have a lot of theories. Yeah, I I, I honestly, but at the end of the day, I don't know. Like I, because like you said, I'm like it's my personal choice. Like, why yeah. are you? attacking me you know what it's kind of like i don't know if you've experienced this but before i met my husband i was you know on online dating sites like okcupid wow. yes and what was my harmony those were the ones that, yeah match.com those i'm are just the trying ones. to think of the ones like because i know ones. you've been with him yeah. for a while this is before hinge or you bumble. Know, bumble or any of those and so i was on and i remember like the, this first time this happened some man sent me a message saying you're disgusting you're so hideous eight tattoos you're a whore and like just like went to town on me and like i was like this I, and i remember like i received this yeah and i sat down i was at the shopping center and i just started to cry and i was like well, i don't even know this person why is he like attacking me based upon my photographs like yeah it was so aggressive and i thought it was like oh this man is unhinged like whatever I got so many messages like that. And ultimately, I think it was just that they assumed that I was going to judge them as not being worthy of my mm. attention. And they prophylactically reacted to that. It's the same sort of thing when somebody mm. whistles at me while I'm running. If I don't turn around and acknowledge their compliment, then they get angry and they call me a bitch. Yeah. This one just assumed that I wouldn't do that, mm. you know, when they sent me a polite DM or whatever and then was reacting to their imaginary judgment of them. And so sometimes yeah. I think people assume based upon the fact that I'm vegan that I'm judging everyone who's not vegan and I'm like I didn't mm -hmm. go vegan until I was 35 years old mm -hmm. for 35 years I ate everything I ate all the things you know all the things that a vegan in your imaginary vegan would sneer at in mm -hmm. what world do I have the right to pass judgment on people who are first of all in many cases younger than I was mm -hmm. when I ultimately decided to make this choice in my life and even if they're not like I understand. I know where it. I I, I was in that situation, so yeah. I, I don't. I don't judge people uh, for that. I just, you know, my heart hurts when I see animal agriculture and its effect on animals because I love all animals mm. and I wish we could do something more for them. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of activists out there who are making really Im important improvements in that regard. But I do think that there's just something like that now also remember like mm -hmm. because i wasn't vegan for 35 years i also kind of viewed vegans with contempt mm -hmm. uh, you know i was like come on like you're not like whatever veganism these hippie granola people like that's yeah, what i yeah, thought the white guy with dreadlocks exactly burning man. exactly yep. i thought that too and you know i was very quickly disabused of that yeah. uh, in large part due to people like chung guan sanim and, and meeting her and and realizing there doesn't really need to be a label for this way of life yeah. You know, I like that. I like your process and figuring out the answer because also I feel like I've done this in the past where when things 
makes sense to me is when I see behavior in somebody and I'm like, what the? And then I look at myself and I'm like, oh, why do I do that? Mm. And so it's like, it's like what you said, when you weren't vegan, you had the same, you know, impulse. And it's like, you're looking at that and like, what, what did that mean? And I think that's why you, you came to this conclusion, you know, it's like, kind of the same uh conversation as like the harming others is harming yourself yeah you know and that whole saying something to somebody that you don't know is probably just projection obviously a hundred you don't know them yeah like right and um yeah it's like it's so interesting i always just it's so fascinating to me all the psychology behind food and you also sort of made that um statement about you know when you're talking to your partner you know when he decided to go vegan like oh you don't know what food means to me like what it meant and I think a lot of people you know that have immigrant parents kind of come from that place too because we get told these stories like my you know in Korea like they were starving and they had to eat like rats and whatever and so we have these like immigrant parent stories that are passed down to us and it's like you know my family needed to do this and like how dare you get so picky about what you eat and blah 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 but then there's like a longer story where the veganism has been in korea for thousands of years so it's like uh this complicated i don't know there's so many aspects of it i i agree it's it's never black and white as you think it is yeah and in order to not make an asshole of yourself and embarrass yourself it's better to withhold drawing any major broad sweeping conclusions until you've done a little bit of research into what you're doing. And Mm. I think that was like, I felt like such an idiot. Like I was like, Oh, veganism is such a white way of eating. And then I was like, Oh, you're just neglecting a thousand years of your own heritage by saying that, like how embarrassing for you, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, and you know, that's, I think always a better position is, be humble and just know that you may not know what you don't know. Um, And, and, you know, particularly like you said, when you're trying to assess or evaluate the choices of other people, you have no idea what their story is, where they're coming from, all the tiny little steps that led to the one little snapshot that you've decided to zero in on. Yeah. Well, that's really like, that's great. I think, um, and also, my whole thing is like, if you're really like angry about something, and it's like, so or somebody that you don't know, it's, pro- it's probably something having to do with yourself. Like that's just like right? it's a good opportunity for some introspection yeah. at the very least. Like, why am I so mad at this? Like, why is this bothering me so much? The dating app thing is blowing my mind. You didn't get that? Well, I mean, obviously, I get that because uh, men are gonna are menning still in twenty twenty three. But uh, I never, you know, I mean, obviously now it's like if I don't know someone and they're like coming in really mean, I'm like, obviously that has nothing to do with me. And that's been my thing. But it does, you know, like you said, you cried. It takes people a long time to realize that. Oh, my God. Projecting left and right. Yeah, I had no idea. And this was still when like online dating wasn't as prevalent as it is today. Yeah. And so I just had never experienced such aggression like for nothing like I was like I'm literally just existing like this is the equivalent of somebody coming up to me Mm. and getting in my face and calling me a whore for like walking down the street you know I I was just like so 
horrifying to me. And then, and then, you know what I started doing? I started what? screenshotting all of the messages and posting them in my pictures. Yes. And I was like, if, I love okay, that. like, I'm like, I'm going to shame these men. That's so, great. you know, it. and then they stopped they after stopped. that. Yeah. But I just got so many of them. And it was actually another guy who was like, this is basically rape culture yep. inside of your inbox right now. Yeah. They think they, they own your body and they own you. Well, the interesting thing about the internet is like, yeah, they wouldn't say that on the street. But then after seeing all those like messages, obviously, I, I see a lot of weird messages from men every day, like whatever. I... The scary and sad thing is it makes you realize that that's what's going on in their heads I when know, you're in public. I know. You walk down the street and they're thinking all their things. Yeah. yeah and that's that's scary. It's disgusting. But yeah. Good. Yeah. You should post them because it's like there's no safety. No. You know? I mean, if, if you're, you're going to say it, say it with your whole chest. Exactly. In front of your mom. Do it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And all the other women that you aspire to do these things to. Well, that was such a great answer. I'm really glad I asked you that because I was like, you had such a great, insightful, you know, like self-reflective answer. Mm -hmm. And I was like kind of scared. I was like, if I ask about the history, what if she starts talking about like the Chozon dynasty <laughs> <laughs> in 1370? And I'm like, oh, no, why did I ask? This? No, I'm not like that. No. No, all I know Good. about the Chozon dynasty is like maybe like two pages out of book and largely Korean dramas. <laughs> so. All I know is that they had like there was like a pastry company called Chozon Bread or something. And they made really good. Those really? Reds with the red bean paste. Oh. That's all I know. <laughs> Don't know what time period. <laughs> Sounds amazing. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for that answer. And um, I guess it's time to ask, it's what time. is your sad story? So I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, she's asking the Korean vegan for a sad story. <laughs> yeah, like, you're, just... you're the queen of sad stories, but beautifully written. I must oh, say, they, I cry so hard watching your Aww. videos. You're the queen of amazing sad stories yeah give us one um so the this is one that i have i think shared before in certain places and it was when my father kicked me out of the house and it was very traumatic at the time for the whole family and i i think i was probably i was in seventh grade and so my brother would have been in fourth grade and my father commanded me to make lamyeon for my little brother and i was like what like why why are you asking like first of all my father very rarely commanded me to do anything mm -hmm. because i think he already knew my personality does not respond well to that yeah but he did and then the command itself was just so bizarre i was like jason's been making his own lamyon for years why would i make him food yeah and i found it to be insanely sexist and stupid so i just refused yeah. and my dad lost his mind and he said you're not my daughter anymore get the hell out of my house wow i was you know 12 13 years old but he didn't realize like again if you do that i'll fucking leave like i will call your bluff so i left um, and it was like nighttime and, you know, I didn't go anywhere like crazy. I went to my best friend's house. <laughs> I walked there. Yeah. Um, it was probably like a mile or two away. It wasn't too far. But my dad thought that I would just sit on the front stoop of our house and just cry, you yeah, know, until yeah. he let me back in. Yeah. So when he opened the door and I wasn't there, he lost his mind. Yes. Um, and they had no idea where I was. They were so stupid. I'm like, why wouldn't you call my best friend? You know, the girl yeah. that you like meet, like 
drove me to her house like three times a week. Like, don't you think that's where I would go? Yeah. But I guess they just thought in their minds, like, that's so far. Like, she would never walk there. It's on the other side of town and blah, blah, blah. She got a job in an apartment. (laughs) We're never going to see her again. So they just had a total, like, meltdown. And finally, they called my youth minister from church. And he knew. He called Heidi's house immediately it was like midnight by that time mm-hmm. and um and uh, you know he called my parents back okay i know where she is and and they were like oh can you go get her and you know and so he picked me up dropped me off back at home and i walk into my parents home and my father is in his you know nanungi like his like you know pajamas cuz he was sleeping and he woke up and before i could say a word he grabbed me and he hugged me and he started sobbing and he was like, I love you. I love you. Don't ever wow. do this again. Oh, um, and it was, you know, I don't remember my father ever being like that with me in my entire life. That was the one time when he really let his emotions vis-a-vis me, his tenderness, like reveal itself in all its rawness and ugliness and it's, you know, it's beauty as well and mm. and that was a very important moment but you know it was it was not good like getting kicked out of the house at that age and feeling like oh my parents don't love me because I don't make ramen for my brother there's so many like parts of the story that I'm like so interested in first of all like so you said it wasn't common for you to make food for your brother why did he ask you that? I, I mean, I'm sure you thought about this. You know this. what? I have no idea. Like, it was... I have a theory. Okay. I mean, like... But you don't... Yeah. I think my dad... Sometimes I think he could get frustrated with the level of female power in the house. Mm-hmm. My mom, mm-hmm. you know, made more money than my dad mm. all the time, the mm. whole time. And she, like wore the pants in the in our family like she was the boss there was no question about that my father's always been a passive guy Mm -hmm. and I think for the most part he was okay with that but then sometimes it would like this like bottled up rage was sort of like explode in these weird random ways like against women yeah Yeah, and like I remember once I made rice and like it came out too dry and he lost his mind he was throwing the rice bowl everywhere and like just just completely went apeshit over it um i remember once my my brother like he was looking for some socks in his sock drawer Mm. and he couldn't find it and he was convinced that my brother stole his socks and he just went absolutely ballistic over it so like he has like this Mm. weird like thing where he feels like if he's undermined Mm. and so it could have been that maybe my mom had said something or done something that made him feel emasculated and he decided i'm gonna show my daughter least one woman Mm. in this family that i should theoretically have power over Mm. and tell her you better cook for the other boy in this relationship Mm. or you know in this family and then when i didn't it just you know spiraled out of control that's like along the lines of like my theory but i just want to say that am i right to just like hearing how you just spoke about it that these incidents are very rare yeah my pretty rare my father for the most part, he was very rare to lose his temper. Right. You know, he was, but I mean, that's not to say like, he was not present. It Mm. wasn't because he was kind or Mm. loving. Mm. It was because in my view, yeah, he just didn't give a shit. And it wasn't until he gave a shit about something 
that he decided to show it, whether it was yeah. sobbing uncontrollably and saying, I love you, or kicking me out of the house because I didn't make ramyun. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very, you know, obviously, I think you're, like, right on the money with, like, why he did that. I was, you know, before hearing your explanation, my assumption was that he had this feeling that he had to teach you your place in society or role but it makes sense that it was like triggered possibly by these other factors in your family dynamic that he was uncomfortable with but uh, i have to say that i feel like has it's like an unearth like old memories of things like that that would happen in my korean family like every once in a while like an adult would be like clean up this three-year-old boy's like legos and i'd be like what no <laughs> like you know and i think and i always i'm fascinated by how for thousands of years now i think all societies on earth have been living with this lie that women are not equal to men right mm -hmm. Mo like most cultures of the world and it's like to this day girls are like what <laughs> like you try to t tell them to do stuff like that and they're like what the fuck and then they get like slapped and then they do it but it's like they still haven't broken us you know what i mean and isn't that a beautiful thing yeah and yeah. Wh why would they because even a, a nine-year-old or whatever 10-year-old girl knows what unfair a two-year-old girl knows what's unfair yeah. it's like i'm not fucking wiping his ass He's cap, you know. He's capable of doing it himself. I mean, and by yeah, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Fourth grade, absolutely. A fourth Absol grade Korean yeah. boy knows how no. to make ramyun. You know, like if it there's one <laughs> thing, he, if there's two things he knows how to do: lie and make ramen. <laughs> <laughs> there's like really no need for me to do it. But you know, it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Like like what you said about like clean up this three year old baby's like Legos. Like it was always shit like that. Like. Peel shouldn't the fruit. he learn yeah like shouldn't he learn how to do it yeah like cut cut the fruit for this random cousin oh <laughs> that's like like, <laughs> like why yeah like i don't like why can't he cut the fruit for himself so much of my childhood <laughs> was doing that and you know what's funny though i think i was so bad at everything that like actually they stopped asking me not because they're like we gotta teach young me how to serve men and then they asked me what i was like i'll do it yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> fucked up everything <laughs> i'll clean up the list made it way worse and like the three-year-old's like you know what young me why don't you go watch tv i, I got this and i was like no i want to <laughs> i'm so bad at cutting the fruit it looks um, like a i know octagon if i <laughs> looks like, a, like it's not that like the pentagon yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's okay like 80 percent of it's on the skin yeah you're just you're left like, with like, like the, the part that's discarded yeah <laughs> you're like you know what he should learn how to do this yeah young me go sit down um yeah that's like such an interesting wow that i feel like that unearthed something but i have to say kudos to your dad that when you came back he cried because oh, he could have whooped yeah. your ass which i thought that's where the story no, was going yeah my father has never laid a finger on me good for him you know and, and that's so sad that that's a good for him like that's an attaboy like it shouldn't be i mean like, that's not just for korean men that's no, all, men. all men like I if agree. they don't hit you it's it's like ooh, you got lucky wow you know but yeah my father never did i think it i don't know you know people i just listened to something on the way here that said that every person who 
abuses Mm -hmm. has abuse in their history. And Mm. that doesn't mean that people who've been abused will ultimately become an abuser, but it does mean that it is pretty much a prerequisite, Prerequisite. you know? Yeah. And my father, I think was terribly abused, like horribly. Like he's told me like little bits and pieces and it breaks my heart. Yeah. And I think his way of coping with it is certainly to be withdrawn, uh, which is why I feel like he completely checked out. And mm. then also to never, like, he's he's like, there's a discipline to him about certain things. Like, like violence? Yeah, like, he's yeah. like, it's not happening. Like, yep. This is a line, and mm-hmm. we will never cross it. And oh, so he's never, great. I mean, at least, I mean, in, in, in my whole life, I can't remember a single time where I felt like, okay, like, this is getting scary. I've, I've never felt that with my dad. That's great. Yeah, I think that... Um... I think that I also read something about, I just like to say this because I know a lot of people who have abuse in their past are terrified of this. It's, I think the statistic is that one out of seven abuse victims go on to become abusers. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's a very small minority. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. like you said, it's not like if you've been abused, you're going to become an abuser, but it's all abusers have happened to been abused Mm -hmm. it's really really sad but that's one of the things that i'm very proud of my father yeah that's amazing yeah when he tells me what his own father did to him also against the backdrop of poverty war starvation all of that you know to deal with that's like trauma in and of itself but his father was like not a good person in my opinion i think my dad you know, like there's this idea of adaptive preference where you're like, well, I'm going to pretend in my mind that he was a good person because mm. it's just too mm-hmm. hard for me to believe otherwise. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of that with my dad. But like, I mean, he was like telling me like my dad once starved me for three days, wouldn't let me eat any food. Oh, my God. Um, and I think no water. Um, and his, his mom had to sneak him a little water on the side. And he was like, I don't know what I did wrong. He never told me. He never told me what I deserved to earn, like why I earned this punishment. That's what he would say. And I think his whole life was, at least his childhood until his father passed away, was riddled with not just punishment, but unpredictable, completely out of nowhere, acontextual penalties. That's what my dad called them all the time, penalties. And I just like... It's one thing to like get beaten because you know you did something wrong or at least they tell yeah. you what you did wrong. But in a lot of situations with my dad, it would just come out of nowhere. Which is another layer of like psychological abuse and Absolutely. torture. I feel like that's a, p- a big thing of my childhood that stayed with me with the whole I'm circling back to the, like the New York City thing, like the gaslighting, like the, the confusion is some of the worst parts of it, I yeah. think. Yeah. I mean, how can you cope with trauma when you don't even understand the shape of it very difficult yeah i'm so sorry i like when you were saying that i started laughing because i actually i guess this is the theme of the podcast we're supposed to if you want to laugh you can laugh but it wasn't about that i just had this memory like i actually did one time make my cousin ramen Wait, okay, was it on threat of being kicked out of the house? <laughs> oh, but it's so funny because, okay, it's so funny because, like, I messed it up. It wasn't ramen. It was. Oh, it did was it turn like, into, like, peeping? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 
it was jajang japagetti oh, japagetti uh-huh. which is like uh, if you don't know it's like instant ramen but you have to take all the water out and i like didn't know oh so, so you I, made it soupy yeah and then for years he like <laughs> ate it like that <laughs> like he insisted like for the rest of his childhood like his mom would make it regular and he'd be like there's the kungur there's the soup and she was like what the fuck but then um the same cousin i just remembered <laughs> i made him like i just like I feel like I was like responsible for feeding him a lot, and the another time there I made him ramen because he was like so young, and then I like fucked it up. I like fucked it up again, and I don't know. I think I added too much water sauce oh, or whatever. Uh-huh. And was, <laughs> sorry, this is like for some reason it makes me laugh so hard. And it was like uh, too much sodium, so like he immediately ate it and just like passed out. <laughs> <laughs> on the couch <laughs> and i just like for i don't know why i just remember his face for as long as i'll live <laughs> and he woke up and <laughs> he woke up and he was like looking for me and he was like i don't feel so good <laughs> but his face was like so swollen <laughs> he couldn't open his eyes oh they were like shut <laughs> Oh my god! They never. They they're like, please stop, <laughs> stop feeding him. We will figure. <laughs> you ruined his life. His entire childhood has been eating wet japagetti. But I just like his face when he woke up from that nap is like burned in my brain. <laughs> he, was just, like, he was like looking for me. Like I don't feel. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, that's what you get for asking like a fucking eight-year-old to, to take care of a child yeah. yeah like what am i gonna do i don't know what i was doing honestly i was probably like 15 but <laughs> i told you i'm bad at this oh that's, how, that's oh my funny. god i'm so sorry i started laughing during the <laughs> very okay. poignant important point that you had to make i, I figured think. that it was very relatable i think almost every korean woman has had to make lamyan for a, a younger person in their life yeah and that's i guess that's my advice if your if your grandma makes you do that just fuck up the ramen they'll never <laughs> ask you again i believe there's a phrase for it it's called weaponized incompetence exactly <laughs> yes yes except i wasn't doing it on purpose no i know you I didn't just, weaponize i thought i was it. doing a great job <laughs> <laughs> just put three packs of sauce wait in so my- you literally like opened other lamians to add extra sauce i don't know <laughs> why i don't know why but i just remember i think i like emptied the whole thing i, I think i was trying to make it taste good of i was like course. oh this will make it better I was like really chefing it up <laughs> at the age of eight. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's like his sodium levels are toxic. His kidneys were failing. <laughs> he's like, I don't feel good. <laughs> I feel like he's good now. And then he like went to bed really early. I'm Aww. sorry. I have to like stop thinking about this. I'm gonna start like cry laughing. It's so funny. Poor kid. Ah, uh, well, that's like, well, that's like very. I have to say, you know, kudos to your dad. Also, I feel like. Even though my parents had beat me, I feel like they did curb a lot of the the abuse that they received because they didn't re- receive a lot more than I did. So I think, you know, a lot of people judge their parents, but I I feel like my parents did a great job with like the life that they were given. Me too. And I respect that they, you know, you know, like your dad, there were all these harmful things he did, obviously, and that's valid that you went through that, but like that's kind of amazing that he 
learned this huge important lesson you know and didn't do that i think so and yeah i don't know like i, I wonder if it has a lot to do with his mom like my, my chinarmoni yeah um the only person that ever like beat me was my mom and uh yeah you know and i use that word like in the yeah. white way like yeah, yeah. okay white people would call it beating like yeah in, in, in our house it was just like you know yeah, like yeah, yeah, dingy, yeah. you know and stuff like that but like it was that and like my way harmony yeah she would sometimes like chase me around with like a wooden spoon Ooh, you know and stuff like back that. scratcher did you, did you get like a ptsd when you saw my wooden no, back scratcher on the door I, think, I always look at that and i think it looks so shiny um like, oh. but yeah, yeah they they always they had like uh my mom would take out this uh, I, I hesitate to say this but she, she had a collection of bungningis, you know no, of yeah, different girths yeah. you know and but I remember once she started hitting me like with her, like she was just like hitting me because like I did something that upset her. Yeah. And I just had like, I was like, stop hitting me. I hate you. You're horrible. I hate you. And then I wow. ran away, slammed the door in her face in my, in my bedroom. Wow. And I remember after that, she never, ever, ever used mungdingi or anything on me after that. Wow. So, and that was when I was pretty young and she, um, she learned from that so i think that like you know what you said about your parents they they had a handicap their trauma meant that they couldn't parent me in the way that perhaps my in-laws parented my husband you yeah. know and so when I talk to my own therapist, she's always like, you have so many issues because of your parents and you need to get angry with them. And, you know, you need to you know, embrace that anger and really confront it. And I'm like, I have no anger. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I, I don't I don't like, yes, I understand that they did things that may make things harder for me now yeah. as an adult. But like, I don't need to forgive them for anything. Like, I I feel nothing but immense gratitude and love for my parents like I don't have any resentment towards them I I know where it all comes from mm. you know and like I also feel like I actually had a pretty good compared to a lot of other Korean American immigrant families in yeah. the United States like yeah. you know like my father never hit me or anything like that my mom okay fine she used mungdingi but that's pretty standard I think in most Asian families yeah and so, all the Korean words for like those corporal punishments like memme it's yeah. like really cute, cute little, like, yeah, exactly like, yeah but can I say you know I think also a reason because when you were telling me your stories I was gonna say I really respect you for the fact that you confronted them right there and you stood up for yourself, like in your dad's story and, you know, your mom's story mm -hmm. when she stopped hitting you. And maybe that is part of the reason why you don't really carry that around anymore. That's a really good point. Because me, I never stood up to my parents. Mm -hmm. And after I became an adult, I was like, fuck you guys like that. But it sounds like you were like emotionally mature enough and aware enough as a child to be like, no, like I'm angry. You're doing this to me. I'm like standing up for myself and it ended that. And so maybe that's why you're like so resolved. That's a really you know good mean? point. I never even thought of that. Yeah. I don't know. So like yeah. when and your mom amazing. was like hitting you, you yeah. never was like, stop. Nope. Never. <laughs> I was too scared. Like I never stood up to my parents at all oh, wow. throughout my whole. I mean, you know, as a teenager, I'd be like, fuck you guys or mm -hmm. whatever. But not it wasn't like from all the past stuff. It was like all that anger I only got in touch with very recently. And 
I think that it's amazing, actually, that you were able to like be aware enough to like tap into that as a child. And I think it's it's done you a lot of good because now you're an adult who, who has like a lot of resolution that other people don't have because a lot of people have not yet dealt with it yeah and maybe your therapist was like thinking like that like you haven't you haven't come to it yet but it's like you already you already did it no i did it yeah no we fought all the time like my mom and i were like at each other's throats i think healthy no i think it was healthy yeah and i never gave up i never gave up like unless my anger was gone like leached out of me that's great i would just continue fighting like when she tried to give me a curfew at like 25 years old (laughs) oh my god (laughs) come on mom fought like tooth and nail like it just like and i would not give up like it was just like this is wrong and you cannot do this to me like i'm 25 years old i'm fucking in law school like what are you doing and she's like as long as you're you know living under my roof you need to be home by 1 a.m no later and stuff like that no i think this is like i think this is like a great like part of your personality that i think and also i'm I'm thinking like this is probably why you're such a great like lawyer Uh. because you know what's right and you fight for it and where it, where other people are just like whatever i'll deal with this <laughs> and then i'll just be in therapy for 20 years you know what i mean like you like fight for it and so maybe that's like that part of your personality makes it you know makes you capable of seeing not being angry later on yeah. and i think that's great that's no, amazing i never thought of it that way well thank you for that kind of outside perspective it's really exceptional oh thank you i mean it's exceptional that i like yelled at my mom and made her cry (laughs) like i don't know good for you (laughs) there were times where it got really ugly but now we have like a wonderful friendship and i yeah feel like more than anything like incredibly protective of my mom and my dad because i just i don't want to see them get hurt Mm -hmm. Uh, they've lived a lot of their lives in pain and i think they deserve to live the rest of their lives in harmony and joy and um maybe you're right maybe i exercised a lot of that resentment as it occurred as opposed to kind of like bottling it up i just don't feel anything negative i'm like i'm sorry to disappoint you to my therapist but i'm like we're not going to have that moment because it doesn't exist like it just you already burned it off yeah and now how great that you get to go get to the part of this very authentic i love my parents and i care about them and i want them to be at peace because i think a lot of people are are trying to mush away the anger and try to get to where you are without dealing with the anger. And I think that's probably like what your therapist is used to. Yeah. It's like, no, you got to confront the anger and then you can live your life like authentically in this peace with your parents. And I must say, I think that that is like a natural, like the way that you're naturally very emotionally mature and very New Yorker-y. Uh. You're a natural New Yorker. You just, you're like, yeah, I'm angry. Fuck you. Because like, I think the thing, what I learned about living in New York is that, yeah, like when people confront me now, I'm like, fuck you, bitch, whatever. And then after that, I'm like, yeah, you're cool. Like, I, I, I process it. And then I'm like, we're at peace. Yeah. You know? It's, Isn't that such a great feeling, too? Yeah. To be on the other side of I that, like. I need New York City to help me do that. You already <laughs> were doing that naturally when you were, like, five, telling your mom, like, stop spanking me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I actually ironically get that from my mother. She's mm. very fiery, passionate woman. And yeah. she had, she's very good at just being cutting and you know all those things and i was just like i can't deal i can't pretend to be 
okay when I'm not. Me so, neither. Yeah. And so I just, just like, I'm just to tell you, like, I'm not okay. Yeah. And we need to get okay. So let's figure it out, you know? But I had to be taught that. Like, mm. I lived so many years pretending that everything was okay. And then it, like, it just, like, cracked open in me. And now I'm where you are because I can't stand how I used to, where it was, like, being forced to live, kind of. Mm. But it took a long time. That's so interesting. Wow. What an interesting conversation. And what a, I mean, obviously very sad story, but also kind of inspiring. Aww. I think the, you know, I always say, you know, one of the things that I like to say is like, people are afraid of getting angry and, you know, it's kind of tied into like what you're talking about, like don't want to cause harm, right? But being angry when something happens to you isn't causing harm. It's the appropriate reaction of being hurt. Yes. And in a lot of ways, it ends the hurt, right? Like your mom's. Totally. And so it's an appropriate reaction and not anger isn't always bad. Sometimes it's what's necessary. Well, it's honest. It's honest. Yeah. And so I think that's like such a great example of that because I feel like it's something that I like to say because I was taught it so late in life. Um and I, I think we're running out of time, but I just mm -hmm. want to ask you, uh, obviously, I'm guessing everyone knows where you are on social media, but do you want to plug your social media in case they want to follow you? Sure. You can follow me anywhere at The Korean Vegan. That's what I am on every, you know, social media channel. You can also find my website at thekoreanvegan.com and you can find my book called The Korean Vegan at every bookstore. A James Beard Award winning. <laughs> That's very prestigious. It's a little surreal. I to saw be your. I saw you getting the award. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> we made it! Finally, Koreans. <laughs> Korea won. <laughs> it's so like, cool hearing you say that because you don't know like how many Korean people, yeah, mostly men, have called me not Korean. Oh, shut up! I, <laughs> shut the fuck up! What? what do they know? Get, or, or that I'm racist towards myself? What? <laughs> Because I'm plant based, or because my husband's white, I get that oh, all God, of the course. time. Not the yeah, husband being exactly. white. Exactly, my husband's white, so I hate Ugh. my I hate my own race. I'm vegan. I must hate my own race. Uh, you know, I've been labeled that so many times, and and I will say, like, I know my insecurities and my bugaboos, and yeah. that's definitely one of them. And so I tend to get a little my hide up when when I get those kinds of comments. I do. I get that too. Because sometimes, like, it'll, it'll be known that I'm dating a white person, and uh, I'm like. Okay, but I'm half white. So, like, do I really fall? Like, <laughs> you also lived in Korea for many, many, many years. Yeah. You speak way better Korean than any of these mofos who are coming at but, you. Yeah, yeah, but also, I'm like, I'm half white. So, isn't it technically my people? Like, do you, what do you want me to do? Like, yeah. who, like, right? I know. It's, 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 it's a little, you know, I don't think it. that it's a coincidence that the people who level these types of accusations at me are always men. They're always no, men. No, it's not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. It's like the dating app guys. It's proprietary. Yep. That's what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, um, wait, I guess, so the podcast, you can follow at Harry Butthole Podcast on Instagram. Nice. Or I think that's all I have for social media. Or I'm at YM Mayor or Young Me Mayor on TikTok. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again for joining us. Thank that you. was so great. I had so much fun. Yay! Bye! <laughs>